Today we continue our exploration of the Ten Commandments, and we come to commandment number three this morning. So listen once again to God's Word as it comes to us from the fifth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Moses convened all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances that I am addressing to you today. You shall learn them and observe them diligently. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, not with our ancestors did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the fire, and at that time I was standing between the Lord and you to declare to you the words of the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you enjoy walking the streets of New York City and have a love for history, you might be interested in a Big Onion tour. How many of you are familiar with the Big Onion tours here in New York City? Joan, anyone else? Great, I'm so glad. Uh, two out of 43, that's not too bad, that's, that's, that's okay. The Big Onion tours was founded by two graduate students at Columbia University 20 years ago. They were working on their PhDs in history and they needed to make some money, so they started offering historical tours of different neighborhoods in the city. And today, they offer 1,800 tours to 30,000 customers every year. Over the past 10 years, Deb and I have enjoyed a number of these tours. We've gone through Harlem, the Lower East Side, a couple of tours to the village, and just two months ago, we went on a tour through the Upper East Side. We walked down Park and up Madison, learning about the history of this neighborhood, how it's changed. Uh, our guide was a doctoral student in art history, and she pointed out some architectural interesting aspects of the neighborhood. It was a lot of fun. As we were making our way up Madison, when we crossed 73rd, I said, uh, excuse me, What can you tell us about that church on the corner? And she looked at the sign and said, well, it's a church. <laughs> and it looks like it's Presbyterian, but that's all I know about it. Okay, that's what I said, okay, but inside I was like, oh no, really? You don't know anything about this church, seriously? When the tour concluded, I invited her to come back to our sanctuary to see our tapestry, and she and Deb and I had a wonderful conversation for about an hour. She wanted to learn more about our church so that on future tours, she could tell people about who we are. Now, 
I don't know if she will ever do that. I hope so, but I'm not sure. But it has left me wondering over the past two months, what is our reputation in the city? I have shared with a couple of colleagues that I am beginning to believe that Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church is one of the great secrets of New York City. I imagine that many people have heard about our wonderful musical program. I suspect they've heard about our stellar day school, but what have people in our neighborhood and around the city heard about the character of our congregation? How well known, for example, are your warmth and hospitality? How well known is your commitment to the marginalized, to the poor, to the hungry? How well known is your commitment to engaging faith intellectually, seriously, deeply, vigorously, and not settling for simplistic answers. I don't know, I honestly don't know. And if you have any feedback here today or online, please send me your thoughts. I'm interested in those. What is our reputation? For I do not want another tour to go by us and go, well, I think it's a church. If you have an appreciation for the power of reputation, you are well on your way to understanding the gravity and significance of the third commandment. Thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, if there's one commandment we think we understand, it's this one, it's simplistic, right? It's easy. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Do not swear. Don't use profanity when you're ranting and raving, when you're angry and frustrated. Don't use God's name in a profane manner. And there's something to that. But if we stopped here, we would have missed the most significant part of the commandment. For this is probably the least way that we violate this commandment. Alwyn, a Presbyterian theologian and former president at Louisville Theological Seminary, has written... Names are enormously important in the Bible. The names of people are not just handles so that we can differentiate John Q. Smith from John P. Smith. A person's name expresses that person's character, sums up that person's worth and essence. In scripture, the name communicates character, which is why when someone's character or essence has changed, it is usually accompanied by a change in name. Abram becomes, you remember? Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. Even more so for the name of God. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago now, I can't keep track, but we explored in a sermon the meaning of the name of the Lord in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And we discovered that Yahweh is actually a verb, a verb of causation, and we translate it as, I am who I am. It was believed by some in ancient times, and 
the Old Testament that if we know someone's name, we have a certain power or control over them. And so when Moses asked God, uh, whom shall I say is sent to me? God said, I am who I am. What? What does that mean? And that's the point. Moses, I will not be controlled by you. I will not be dominated by you. At the very least, then, what this commandment means for me and you is that when we approach our faith, when we approach the character of God, when we use God's name, we should be very, very humble. There will always be more about God that we don't know than we do know. So don't be presumptuous. Don't be cavalier. Don't be too casual when you're using the name of the Lord. Every time we use God's name, we are saying something about God's reputation. We are impacting God's reputation. What's our reputation in the city? What are our ministry and our gatherings and our fellowship communicating to the world about the character of God? That wonderful Old Testament theologian, Terence Fretheim, has said, this prohibition is basically concerned with the divine reputation. That is, it is designed to protect the divine name from being used in any way that brings God or God's purposes for the world into disrepute. It assumes the close relationship between name and renown. God's good name is as important to God as any human being's name is to the person who bears it. A name is a precious thing. The way in which people talk about others, such as gossip or other vain, hurtful talk, will affect their standing in the community. How are we using, celebrating God's name in such a way that we enhance and celebrate God's reputation in the world? That's the challenge of this commandment. And it warns us to be careful. As confident, as passionate as we might be, be careful. Don't be too cavalier, don't assume too much. This warns us that when unscrupulous politicians and pastors use the name of the Lord to pad their wallets or enhance their own power, they have violated this commandment. When churches hurt one another within their congregation through gossip, we have violated this commandment. We have tarnished God's reputation in the world. When we embrace those we don't know, the outsider, with a, eh, I don't care, whatever, we have taken the name of the Lord our God in vain. Our ministry, the way we relate to one another, how we serve in the world, are all inherently connected with God's name and God's reputation. What are we doing now to enhance God's reputation in the world? Part of my concern when I come to this commandment this morning is how the church has sometimes fallen woefully short and even tarnished God's name with its message and its ministry. 
I love the church. There is much about the church of Jesus Christ that I love. I have devoted my life to it. But some of you will remember my passion is for the 65 million people who have fled the church in the last generation. And they have fled the church because they went to church looking for understanding and compassion and instead they got judgment. They went to church looking for a way to make a difference in the world and instead they were asked to engage in institutional maintenance. They went looking for a significant intellectual, faithful, vigorous exploration of the faith and instead it was a one-way conversation. Remember this, memorize that. 65 million people have left the church because the church in no small measure has taken the Lord's name in vain. When we mistreat one another, when we ignore our responsibility to be witnesses to Jesus Christ, we have taken the name of the Lord in vain. When we align ourselves too closely with political figures because it makes us look good and feel important, we have taken the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When I was in high school going into my first two, uh, two years of college, I was very, very interested in politics. Very. I went to our precinct meeting, the county convention, the state convention, and I went to the national party convention that year. 1980. I had a course planned out to get me to the White House. You laugh, Deb, my wife, cries whenever I mention this. No, no, Patrick, no way will you ever do anything like that. I know, I know. But at that point, I was passionate about serving people and enhancing our society, and I thought politics would be one way. Slowly, I became very discouraged, and part of that discouragement came from someone who said to me, well, Patrick, um, if you really are interested in politics, you know what you have to do, don't you? No, what? You have to go to church every Sunday. Every Sunday you have to go to church and be seen. That's the only way to be elected. And even at the age of 18, 19, that just grabbed me and went like, what? I wasn't going to church anyway. But I certainly wasn't going to go to church to make a political reputation. That just like, ah, oh. so that's the temptation. When we try to use our faith in a way to enhance us personally or professionally or financially, at the expense of enhancing God's reputation in the world, guess what? We have taken the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It's all about reputation. And so here are some questions I have for you online and for all of us gathered here today. What are you doing individually and collectively to enhance Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church's reputation in the world? For we are all about God's reputation. Are you, are you going online with your social media accounts and sharing the latest stories from our congregation? How often do you invite a friend or a neighbor to join you for worship or a fellowship activity or a book study or a mission project? How often do you do that? What are you doing to celebrate the joy 
of our church, our shared faith in Jesus Christ with others, in a way that it's not presumptuous, or you're going to hell if you don't do this, but in a way that says, hey, let me tell you about this strange church I go to. It's strange because people there really care. They love one another, they love the Lord, they want to engage in ministry. They're warm and they're gracious. I don't want to be pushy, but if you, if you want to join me some Sunday, let me know, let me come and pick you up. We'll walk together, we'll sit together. That's part of what it means to celebrate the name of God and enhance God's reputation in the world. Our name, after all, is not our own. Our name is Christian, and we bear the name of Christ so that wherever we go, whatever we do, we seek to shine light on who he is and what he is about in the world. And when we do that, God's Spirit can work in us and bring about the kind of transformation we cannot even begin to imagine. August 20th, 1991, do you remember it? Well, uh, I don't either, but I looked it up this week. Are you familiar with the babushkas? The babushkas were the women in the Soviet Union who were faithful and continued to care about their Orthodox faith even after the Soviet Union said no. They carried on the faith largely in secret. They were passionate about Jesus. In August of 1991, martial law was declared and everyone was ordered to go back to their homes. Boris Yeltsin and other leaders were huddled in the Russian White House as scores of Soviet soldiers and tanks gathered outside, a conflict was on the way. And the babushkas did not go home. Bearing the name of Christ, they went to the site of the confrontation. They prayed for the protesters. They prepared food and brought it to the resistance. And some even climbed up on top of the tanks, looked inside those slits at the crew cut men inside and said, we have new orders. Thou shalt not kill. These orders come from God. And the babushkas who had been ridiculed not only by the Soviets, but also by those in Western civilization bore the name of Christ and with defiance stood up to the Soviet machinery there never was a confrontation, and the tanks withdrew. An empire crumbled. My friends, we bear the name of Christ. And when we take that name with joy to celebrate it in the world, there's no telling what God might accomplish through us.